You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Welcome back, everyone. We are going to continue our conversation with Mike Carter, the coordinator for the Playa Lakes Joint Venture, and Matt Huff. Ducks Unlimited's Manager of Conservation Programs in Kansas, uh, about some innovative solutions that have been developed in their region to help us conserve uh, playa wetlands across a much broader supporter base. And it's, it's a fascinating conversation. They've been incredibly successful growing their base of support for these conservation efforts. And so I encourage you to go back to the previous episode, get caught up on the background of this. We're going to jump right back in with Mike and Matt and when we when we concluded we the previous episode we had sort of covered the historical aspects of this what your compliant conservation efforts looked like when you were just trying to focus on the benefits to birds and so somewhere along the way uh, my y'all y'all began to realize that hey if we're really going to grow our impact on this landscape to conserve these important habitats the, and, and I say habitats, but these important wetlands that provide bird habitat, but that also provide other services, we're going to have to start championing these benefits to to uh, in a way that makes our efforts relevant. So take us through uh, the moments of revelation or the, the key activities that y'all engaged in to kind of help you make those significant steps. To, and, and, and I guess also the one thing that I'm kind of curious about is was there any reluctance on the part of the Playa Lakes Joint Venture Management Board, you know, because 
this wasn't without risk because it took some resources, right? You had to commit some time and resources in order to, to explore this other avenue. And so there might, I'm just kind of curious if there was any uh, trepidation about this as you got into it. Yeah, that, that, that's a good question. Um, I think um, my, my history with the joint venture, it's, it's been a long time, but you have to go back and remember that we've been communicating about Playa's for 20 years or more. And probably a lot of the listeners have never heard of that wetland type. So one of the things we wanted to do was do a survey, and this is exactly what you were talking about, that to do a survey of 1,800 landowners is is very, very expensive. But we we asked all the usual questions, you know, have you heard of a playa? Are you in favor of playa conservation? What, you know, what do you need? Strongly agree, strongly disagree, all that kind of stuff. And then in crafting that survey, we said, why don't we just ask a list of resource questions and have them rank them or or state a preference for all that? And so we made a list of about 14 things, everything from waterfowl, grasslands, conservation reserve program, prairie dogs, um, you know, any all that list. And at the last second, we kind of said, well, let's throw Ogallala Aquifer in there. And after, because we were becoming aware of some research about playas and recharging the aquifer at the time, when that survey came back, there was only one thing of this long list of things that that we gave people that they wanted to see more conservation of, and it was the Ogallala aquifer. And uh, prairie dogs was at something like 4% support, so we kind of knew the survey was accurate based on, on that. <laughs> But that 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 really that really struck us that we you know we had plies listed in there, but uh, they were basically saying if you're going to work on something, this is what you, we would like you to work on. And at the same time, we were looking at very recent evidence showing that plies actually recharged um, the aquifer. So that set us to work on almost a decade-long communications program saying, did you know that playas recharge the aquifer that you're so concerned about? And that, that to me, is really the, the start and the foundation of the whole thing. Before we go too much farther, uh, for those that may not be familiar, and, and again, this is one of those questions what I'll kind of ask you guys uh, who wants to answer, maybe just a rudimentary explanation of the Ogallala Aquifer and the significance of the um, of what's happening with it, the significance of the decline in that aquifer. Who wants to take that question? I would love to hear Matt answer it, but I, <laughs> I think I should probably take it because I talk about it all all the time. Um, this is, this is a 174,000 acre, um, reservoir underground, but you cannot envision it as a reservoir. It's, it's filled with material. So envision more like a huge jar with marbles in it and, and straws in that, that water. And that's what drives the, drives the whole economy in, in places, this jar is, 500 feet um, thick or deep, and in other places, it's just 80 feet um, thick or deep. And then in some places, it comes above the ground where you have an artesian artesian spring. This, this aquifer is really what drives the whole economy of the southern plains. 
Um, we, we, we grow, you know, 45% of the U S wheat, um, 60% of the U S cotton because of this aquifer. Um, the problem with all that is that it's overused. And so in some places, and this is astounding of those numbers that I mentioned before, we're down to 30 feet left. And that's about the amount of water where it's hard for a pump to actually get the water out of the ground. That's not to say the whole aquifer is dry. There's still places where there's 300 feet of usable capacity. Um, I don't think it would be overstating to say that this is an emergency situation. Wow. And so that's what is really, really driving the concern about the aquifer and probably the interest in in plies. Um, they recharge the aquifer, but not really at a level to support, you know, irrigation at the rates that, that we've been talking about. Um, the center pivots and the center pivot sprinklers that you see, they're pulling 700 gallons a minute out of the ground to irrigate um, crops in, in this region. And so that tells you, A, how much water um, is coming out, and it tells you how much water there was because this has been going on for maybe 50 years, um, just post-World War II. Wow. I, I'm, on the, I'm on the verge of asking you a series of additional questions about the, about the aquifer, but in the interest of time, I wanted to talk more about the conservation. I think we'll leave those maybe for a future episode to talk just about the, the Ogallala and some of, the, uh, some of the, the crises that you're talking about there. So um, – Let's talk about the yeah. Let's just transition to some of these innovative solutions uh, that you started developing, and and you know it's it's not as though I don't think you created any new techniques for restoring plias or protecting plias. It's primarily just the way you communicated the benefits that they provided, right? And trying to align those benefits with the people that need it most. And so um, I know there's one story that that was highlighted often as, as the efforts of the PLJ Playa Lakes Joint Venture got underway. Um, and that is in the city of Clovis and how you have a, a partnership with that municipality. But uh, so I'll I'm going to turn this over to you, Mike, and I want you to take us through this to the extent and in the manner that you would like to see it highlighted. Spend as much time as you want on Clovis, but then I also know that the particularly exciting part of what you're doing now is you're expanding that effort into other regions, and I know Matt is involved heavily in that. So I'm going to turn this over to you to help guide us through this this particular part of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, based on the survey that, you know, so that landowners wanted us working on the Ogallala. Um, Ten years later, we checked in with landowners um, through some focus groups all through the region, and we got some interesting messages. Um, How much is the recharge? How long does it take? And even disbelief about all of that. And they they said that they wanted the information from a, a credible source. And sometimes, you know, like people aren't always a credible um, source to people that are in the farming and agricultural community because we're just not, you know, not from that community. So we pulled together a bunch of hydrologists and geologists and basically said, you know, tell us where we're on thin ice, tell us what our messages should be, and tell us um, the numbers that we should be saying so that we're not, not misleading people. 
and basically locked them in the room for a day and a half and asked them to answer those questions for us. And then those answers became the basis of our communications and our work going forward. And one thing they told us was to say that um, on playas and the recharge to the aquifer, we're not recharging at a rate that really helps the irrigation-based economy. But we're really good for municipalities, um, cattle ranching, and you know, dry land ag and households and, and things like that. So that, I mean, armed with that information, we knew that the city of Clovis was working on their playas. We knew that there was some interest there. We knew that the community was situated on just a little bit of water left in the aquifer. And this is Clovis, New Mexico, right? Yes. Yep. It was the, the town of Clovis, about 35,000 people, half of them Hispanic, way out in eastern New Mexico, probably closer to Texas than um, really, you know, Santa Fe or anything like that. And uh, just asked for a meeting with the mayor and county commissioners and, and some producers, and they said, sure, why not? And uh, there's a big water conference, and kind of before we knew it, um, we're working on playas, about 371 playas um, to the north and west of town, and working on restoring those playas so that the recharge of those playas head head towards the town. The town developed um, a water assurance plan, and there's, I think, five main strategies in that plan. And so this is political folks um, working on providing water for their town. And at least two of those strategies in there were about playas as far as restoring them and actually protecting them. And it's it's really, I guess, crazy to hear that we are actually going to get playa protection out of this effort. So you can talk about protecting playas and putting easements in this landscape basically until you're blue in the face. But when you start talking about protecting people's future water, then they become allies with with you on protecting playas because those are sources of of their future water. So it was like a night and day um, change or epiphany to us that, you know, maybe we're onto something here. Mike, talk just a minute about the specifics of how this recharge occurs. I want to make sure we, we have that link between the playas and the, uh, and the aquifer and, and want to make sure that our listeners understand what we mean by recharge. Yep. And then the, what, the way I described playas in the, the previous episode, and people might want to go back to that, um, I was just talking about the playa basin itself. But you have to envision these saucers or the basins are um, – inside of these huge uh, watersheds and the watersheds are internally drained meaning that whatever water that lands on the watershed falls and it eventually ends up into the playa so the pliers are going through wet and dry cycles with these clay bottoms and the clay bottoms when they dry out you get these huge um, cracks in them anything from a couple inches to you could drop a car tire down there and it would disappear. And when the water hits this watershed, it'd be like a you know a section of land feeding a 20-acre playa. You get a huge flush of water that goes towards the playa into these cracks. And then once it gets past the root zone of the plants, we call it infiltration. 
and then it becomes recharged because it's on its way to the aquifer. And a lot of the underlying rocks and um, layers have been dissolved, and so it's almost a clear path to the aquifer, which can be hundreds of feet below, and it might take 60 to 80 years for the water to get there. But the point is, is the water's on its way. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um, okay, so we've we've introduced Clovis, New Mexico as sort of the, um, the pilot effort, you might call it, uh, and you talk about whatever success you want to there, but then I know we also want to talk about the expansion into other uh, other states and other municipalities that are similar to Clovis in their, uh, their water issues. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's where Ducks Unlimited comes in, and I, I kind of want Matt to tell the story of, you know, the work to restore plies in Kansas, but we take this model from New Mexico and we export it to Kansas, and the story and the geology is all basically the same, but then you go to a, a, a landscape where there's really a well-developed um, conservation network, and you know that's what Matt does in in his day job, and and I, I think just having Matt talk about all the different programs that they're bringing around to plies and what people do on a daily basis would be really good. So Matt, let's let yeah, let's hear from you. Sure, um, I'll start with kind of the the history there and how how I got started and our program got started in plies. So. I guess it was about five or six years ago when um, I started working in Kansas and, and, and out of Nebraska, and we we have these conservation delivery maps for DU that shows where all our accomplishments are annually and, and, and collectively over the years, and I noticed there's just a big big blank spot in western Kansas where there just wasn't a whole lot going on, and, and we knew that resource was out there, that these flies were out there and there are priorities, so we, we wanted to start exploring how to how to build that program and uh one of our biologists and myself we started uh, just basically going out and driving around and trying to meet people set up meetings with producers and go to their kitchen table and just kind of hear them out and what what was uh, what they thought about the plies what they what they liked about the programs they're aware of and what they didn't like and um trying to meet with the partners locally that that knew some producers and 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 kind of went from there that's how it all really started and mike was Mike was right there with us the whole time. Um, but I think what we found was a lot of it just the people weren't aware of them. They weren't aware that they, what a ply was. They weren't aware that they had value. They just thought of them as a wet spot in their, their wheat field that caused them problems and got, got their tractors stuck. So once we started introducing like, hey, there's there's all these cool farm bill programs that are available to you. And there's these different partners that can come to the table. It really started to open the door to us to work with with people. It was kind of a a lot of low hanging fruit at the beginning, just a lot of kind of innovative, progressive producers that uh, were willing to to hear us out and try something new, and it got really successful. So we we met with some of those kind of early adopters out there in, in Western Kansas, and they they started coming to our our workshops. We started with some diners and small workshops locally, and then that evolved into kind of a regional annual workshop with our partners at Kansas Lines for Wetlands and Streams, and we, we put those on together, and uh, it just kind of was a natural evolution, so uh, started building, you know, what BU does, we, we go after funding, so we look for opportunities to partner with businesses and, and donors, and 
uh, went after North American Waterfowl Conservation Act grants or NOC grants, um, and then promoting farm bill programs as well. So um, we put basically having the combination of just a whole lot of people that were interested because of the groundwater recharge and because of the benefits, but also because they just haven't heard of a lot of these things before. It was a really fun opportunity to work work in a new landscape and kind of start start something from scratch. So um, can't say enough about the partnership. You know, we couldn't do it without everybody there, all the, the state agency, the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks and Tourism, Pheasants Forever, Department of Conservation there in Kansas, Conservation Districts, and of course, uh, the Natural Resources Conservation Service and Farm Service Agencies. Those they they have a lot of the funding and a lot of the opportunities to to put habitat on the ground. So uh, it it seemed like a a perfect storm, I guess I should say, because it, it was kind of we were entering into a wet cycle. Commodity prices were starting to decline. The the uh, the the limits on irrigation and the ability for people to irrigate their farmland they were starting to become more um, uh, regulations on that so people were were eager for those opportunities and then um, Mike and his team and some of the other partners had gotten a new uh, conservation reserve program CRP practice on the on the ground called 38B which was a new innovative approach for for CRP that was very successful and then. Uh, combination of that and uh, the wetland reserve easement program WRE that, that through NRCS that was also um, very well received early on and continues to be uh, through the history. So um, it enabled us to both fundraise and um, uh, increase our capacity. I'm 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 a big uh, proponent of, of boots on the ground to make all the difference if you get the right folks. So uh, we've got a biologist uh, full time. Uh, biologist in Garden City uh, that that does a lot of this work with us and does a lot of the, the, the outreach efforts and I can't say uh, uh, enough about about him and and our, uh, our other team the rest of our team out there in Kansas and their ability to to uh, work with producers and and get people you know across the finish line for conservation you and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. 
The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside. Matt, what are some specific examples of the type of actions that we uh, that we implement on Playa wetlands? Uh, you've alluded to a couple of these, I think, through the Wetland Reserve Easement Program. I think that's what you called it, uh, and then some of the other CRP uh, programs. But like I, I, I benefit, and I think our listeners would by trying to visualize exactly the type of work that we're doing, like on the Gulf Coast or the Mississippi Alluvial Valley. I can talk about infrastructure that we're responsible for, either replacing or installing to kind of whether it be levees and berms or, or water control structures. What are the what are some specific examples of the type of restoration uh, and protection or yeah, just restoration and protection that goes on to to benefit playa wetlands out there? Sure. Um, yeah, the the typical playa, in, at least in our region, is definitely in in farm country. They're, they've been cultivated for decades. A lot of times, the the disturbance of the grass has led to sedimentation. So on a runoff event, you know that that bare soil is going to run into the wetland, and that that material, that sediment that goes into the, the playa wetland, basically reduces its ability to function like a playa. It, it, it fills those cracks that that Mike talked about and reduces its ability to recharge the aquifer. Um, there's also a lot of ditching and pits that have been installed in those to help concentrate the water. So there's a whole lot of, uh, lot of hydrological impacts. Um, roads have been installed, obviously, section lines, um, uh, terracing, that kind of thing. So there's a, a lot of things that have impacted uh, the, the functions of the plies. So what we do um, there's not a whole lot of heavy-duty uh, engineering as in, as in some DU projects around the country. Uh, they're pretty simple. Uh, do a sediment uh, study on the property to figure out how much material to remove, if any. Uh, plug any ditches that might be cutting the, uh, the wetland hydrology off or taking water away from the, from the basin. Uh, installing native buffers. Uh, that was a big, uh, a big um, uh, win for us as we the his, historically um you just take tall grass prairie species and, and and plant the whole property to to those robust tall grass species but we're dealing in the high plains which would have been historically a short grass prairie so uh, the ability that we now have is to put those those more appropriate species as around these wetlands for their buffer so one it reduces the sediment it holds the soil and two, those those shorter species allow more runoff and water clean water to get to the bottom of the the wetland and help recharge. Um, something else that was a little innovative, I think, early on was our ability to work off-site. Um, you know, typically you have a one neighbor that wants to go into CRP or, or whatever practice, and that's that's the end of the project. But we wanted to to kind of look at these projects holistically. How do we get the water on the neighbors to to stop causing them problems and get to the wetland where it should be? So we we tackled a lot of that like installing culverts uh removing terraces and so uh, a little bit of everything there uh, yeah the bread and butter is is for us is permanent easements we love to see see those permanently protected so wetland reserve easements is the nrcs program that allows protection 100 uh, percent restoration costs can be covered with the program 
as well as a nice payment to offset the the income loss there. So those those are always what we kind of start the conversation with. But there's there's a lot of other um, there's easement options that are out there. Uh, the shorter term opportunities like CRP or 10 to 15 year contracts kind of get the same benefit uh, on a shorter term. So um, kind of everything in between. We 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 have cost share programs that help. Uh, offset some of the restoration uh, expenses for the landowners. Uh, we work with our partners at Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks and Tourism, have their walking hunting access or WeHaw program. So um, that is also a really great income potential for the producers to restore their wetland, get paid for their public hunting access, and then just, you know, that, that additional opportunity for people to use the resource and enjoy those plots. So that's been another good uh, partnership. Matt, that was too good of an acronym to not go back and uh, ask a question about Weehaw. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I grew up watching yep. Yeehaw. Um, so tell, <laughs> tell, me, tell me about and actually, matter of fact, funny story. I was at a I was at the Central Flyway meeting a few weeks ago, and I saw saw a fellow wearing a hat that had the W I H A on his hat. And it was exactly that program, I think. So, so tell me, tell our listeners about that again. I don't want to, I don't want to give that just a passing blow. Sure. Sure. So that's Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks and Tourism, the walk-in hunting access program, or we, um, it's been a hugely successful program. One of the, the best private lands access programs in the country. I they have over a million acres, uh, state of Kansas, you can get on their website or um, there's atlases that are available, um, um, you know, grocery stores and Walmarts that you can pick one up and, and figure out where all the uh, the properties are that are open to the public on private lands. And it's it's a great, great way to increase public uh, hunting opportunities. There's a fishing atlas as well for, for the fishing people out there and a uh, great way for the producers to get some extra income and uh, uh, we love it. It's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of an extra incentive for some people to, to, to both put conservation on the ground and, and get this bonus access. So it's great. Another question for you, Matt, you referenced pits uh, in some of these playa wetlands. I've, uh, I've read enough literature on the waterfowl and wetland field uh, arena to have come across references to pits in, in playas. And my understanding, tell me if I'm correct here, that's pro- that's most that activity is most prominent in the Texas Panhandle. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong about that. And then also tell me, um, tell our listeners what that is and why they do that. Sure. Um, yeah, we've I've run across it quite a bit in in Nebraska as well. Um, basically, they're uh, either through the irrigation process, so people wanted to reutilize some of the runoff water from irrigation or just concentrate the water in the wetlands so it's not, not dispersed across a, in a flat, on, across the flats of the wetland. They want to concentrate it to make farming more uh, easy. So they're, they're, the, the impacts are pretty significant hydrologically. I mean, I, I guess, uh, you know, just thinking about it, you think, oh, deeper water, that's great. That, that's more consistent for the for the birds, but in reality, it, it's it's not very good water to begin with. It's really deep. It never dries out. It doesn't allow those cracks to form to allow for recharge. And then, and additionally, it, it breaches through that clay lens of the playa uh, temporarily, at least, and allows a lot of the the water that may be uh, you know polluted with 
agricultural chemicals and other other stuff you don't want going into your aquifer to go through um, into the straight into the wetland or straight into the aquifer before the the clays and the soils can kind of clean that clean up that stuff. But the uh, those concentration pits are 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 very prevalent in Texas. I know Mike could probably talk more about that. But in Kansas, you know, we just try to fill those back to the the historic elevation of the ground there, and uh, and plug them and and get the compaction needed to make sure the water water's not going through. Uh, we we have had several landowners say, well, why don't we just uh, start digging pits in all of them to help the water get through faster? But again, it's it's kind of a water quality issue at that point, and it takes away the the functions and values of those wetlands and all the the uh, the great other great services that they provide. Uh, Matt, I have another question for you. Being the Ducks Unlimited guy that's doing wetland restoration, you know, our, our the core of our membership uh, is, is hunters, come from a hunting background. We have obviously a, a diversity of members. And really what drives us is providing habitat for waterfowl. So tell me from your perspective as a Ducks Unlimited biologist, how have you sensed this new way of selling wetland conservation where maybe you're not emphasizing as much the benefits to waterfowl, again, coming from Ducks Unlimited, but now you're talking more about the benefits to aquifer recharge. How do you, how do you feel about that? I guess is to, and have you, is it anything new to you? I'm kind of struggling to answer my, to ask my question here, but I guess the, the nature of it is, does it feel weird as a Ducks Unlimited employee to be conserving wetlands on the basis of aquifer recharge instead of waterfowl benefits? It's funny. I just had a similar conversation with, with Dr. Steve Adair on this topic, and uh, I kind of come from a little, a bit of a non-traditional background for DU. Um, I'm, I got my master's at Oklahoma State in uh, wetland hydrology and soils. So I, I kind of come from this background a little more than most of my counterparts are waterfowl biologists in their background. So um, when I look at wetland, I, I, I've, I've been kind of steeped in the, the ecosystem goods and services of wetlands my my career. And um, definitely an avid waterfowl hunter myself, but I've never met, met a wetland I don't like. So um, I think historically, if if we kind of needed to turn down a project because it didn't have the the public access component or it didn't have it wasn't in the right uh, concentration area for us, it was kind of disappointing for me just because I I want to I want to fix them all if we can, you know. So um, it's been kind of a fun thing for me because we we kind of were on the innovative end of this, uh, the kind of the people projects in Kansas, just because we had several opportunities that, that came up and we found the funding and, and we got them done. So it's kind of nice now that, uh, from my perspective that I get to get to work on a little bit more, a uh, little different projects. Not that, not that we aren't going to keep doing what we've been doing. We're not taking the, our foot off the gas pedal at all there. It's just kind of a new and new and innovative way to, to get conservation on the ground and, I often say, you know, from people that say we just do duck projects, we don't do, uh, you know, endangered species projects. I say, well, we put a, a no whooping crane sign on every wetland project we do, but they still use them. That's they don't read our signs. So. <laughs> That's right. I haven't figured out how to teach birds how to read. Yep. <laughs> Mike, I want to ask you that same question. You're, you've been with the, the Playa Lakes Joint Venture for going on 20 years now. 
and you've come through this time where the benefits were originally sold based on their biological or the, the conservation was sold primarily on biological benefits at the beginning and now you're doing it for aquifer recharge and maybe some other uh, environmental services. What has been your personal response, reaction, um, feeling relative to all of that? It's, it's like night and day and if I could think of something that was more contrasted than night and day, I would use that, that metaphor. Um, we, you walk into a room in the past and say, we want to work on ducks and we want to do a NACA grant and it's, it's why and what's a NACA grant. And now you walk in a room and you say, we want to work on flyers. We want to help you with, you know, your, your, your business. We want to help with the aquifer and, and in one meeting, People will say, let's get to work. And then it's up to the biologist to know what you're doing in the background to say, we're still getting benefit, we're still getting wetlands, we're just going into this a different way. And the, the, the real example here is that we just put together a grant that was, it's on the order of um, a North American Wetlands Conservation Act grant. It's like a million dollars. But it's called a Regional Conservation Partnership Program grant through NRCS. Um, we asked for approximately $1.3 million, and we had match from the community. This is two counties where total there's maybe 3,500 people living in this area. They came up, and DU and PLJV came up with $1.5 million match. And so... You go to the county road department, and they say, this is important. We have graders. We have equipment. We can help you with the sediment. We will offer $100,000 of in-kind services of our heavy equipment to help you. That, that's how different it is. Wow. We're not, we're not paying for that. We're not having to contract it. It's being volunteered. And then so all the partners that Matt mentioned earlier – We've added Groundwater Management District. We've added the Kansas Water Office. We've added the Kansas Department of Health. Um, we've added the city. We've added the county. Um, it's just, it's just, it's completely different. And it, it, and we both, Matt and I, say we're not forsaking wildlife. We're not forgetting about that. We're just knowing what the real driver is here, and there, are, and then we're tracking. Um, what the waterfowl benefit is basically in the background. And so the joint venture can do all that. But if we do a thousand acres of playas in these two counties, we can tell you what the waterfowl benefit is, but we probably won't get asked that question during this whole project that we don't care um, because the benefit is there and it's going a lot faster. That's an amazing story, and I I can't identify anything in my uh, in my short career that would be as stark of a contrast. And it's rare that you get one of these examples, such as what you described, where you're able to make strides in conserving an important part of our ecosystem at a scale that is um, that is broader than what you could do if you just tried to sell that conservation based on one or two other benefits that relate directly uh, to wildlife. And so to be able to get other people to recognize the value of what you do, you do I imagine, has to be just incredibly rewarding and um, 
I could sit here and talk about it for for the rest of the afternoon, asking you different questions about specific examples. Um, but uh, I think we probably want to try to start wrapping this up. Again, a phenomenal example of how we can be successful conserving wetlands for waterfowl and other wetland birds based on the benefits they provide to broader segments of society uh, and other ecological services that those, uh, that those systems provide. Before we close out, Mike and Matt, I want to give each of you, and uh, Mike, I'll start with you, an opportunity to share anything else that uh, may be on the horizon can share any information about how people can get in touch with you, how, where they can look for additional information on the work that you've been doing. Uh, so, Mike, anything in that regard? No, I, I think the end of the story is that when you go in and, and ask people how you can help, um, I, I've, I think I said this before, but I've never been in a meeting where the producers are saying, well, okay, thanks for helping, but how can we help you? Aren't you here for wildlife? And I've never had that experience either. And so that that's part of the re, the whole rewarding aspect of this. Um, yeah, the joint venture has um, pretty well developed um, communications, and they anybody can get a hold of us at uh, pljv.org. Um, there's a lot of great um, films there, documentaries. Um, the producers talking about the relationship to playas, and I urge people if they want to do a deeper dive to to go to that website and look for those videos and maps of playas and all kinds of things about playas and, and what the, the work that the joint venture partnership is doing. And I thank you for the opportunity to talk today. Absolutely. And Matt, I want to turn to you now and anything else that you want to share with respect to any new initiatives or new efforts that Ducks Unlimited is engaged in and how people can get in touch with you or any of our other Ducks Unlimited biologists if they may be interested in learning more about playa restoration opportunities. Sure. Yeah, we're always looking to expand. There's a lot of states left and my counterparts there that uh, that have opportunities to work with playas. So we're, we're always wanting to build the program. Um, just to reach me, just the uh, ducks.org Kansas page or uh, your respective state of interest. And we, we'd be happy to talk to you and do the work together. I think that's going to wrap it up, guys. I, again, reiterate how, how incredibly impressive this work is. Uh, and, and I, I look forward to seeing the rest of the story as we go through time. I know from some of the research and some of the publications you've put out, there are more cities, more towns out there on the landscape that are facing similar issues. And so uh, there's plenty of opportunities. So thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for the insights that you provide. And look forward to getting you back on the podcast sometime in the future to catch up on new developments. My pleasure. Sounds great. Thank you for the opportunity. Special thanks to our guest on today's show, Mike Carter, coordinator of the Playa Lakes Joint Venture, and Matt Huff, Ducks Unlimited's Director of Conservation Programs in Kansas. Uh, we also thank our producer, Clayton Baird, the Electron Warrior, and all the great work that he does with the podcast and getting it out to you, our listeners. To our listeners, we thank you for your time. We thank you for spending it with us. We thank you for support of the podcast. We appreciate all your input and uh, your reviews and ratings of the podcast. And most importantly, we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.
you and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. 